0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April, and as always, I'm looking for my good buddy, Seth Robinson. Seth, you out there?
1: Hey, how you doing?
0: I'm doing well. It was a busy week this week. As you know, we had our event in Chicago, the Community Forum. That was the first time... Uh, doing that format, and I was busy. I know that I had three different presentations that I did, and I know you—you uh, you had uh, you and I shared one, which went well. Early morning ones, not my favorite, but you know, thought it went pretty well. How about right. you?
1: Right, yeah. I think we we tried to be as lively as possible. It was definitely it was good to see you, and it was a good event. And it'll be interesting to hear how the communities all uh, responded to that new format. Mm-hmm. Um, and get some feedback from the panel session that we did. But yeah, I'm glad that you made it back. There was weather on the East Coast, so wasn't sure if you were going to make it out or not.
0: Yeah, no, this was a, it was uh, bizarre because um, typically where I live, is you know, it gets inundated with snow when we have these nor'easter storms. And so I was worried that I wouldn't get home. And nope, not a drop of snow or a flake, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I, yeah, I arrived home to a, uh, to a surprise. It was very nice. And what was even better is usually when I land in Boston around and I landed yesterday around 3:30, it's just going to be horrible traffic getting home. But I think people were, were spooked that there was going to be a storm and people didn't work from home yesterday. Mm. So the normal commuter traffic wasn't there. I was so relieved. I, I made it home quickly. So all good.
1: Nice. Well, uh, if you, if you had gotten stuck, then you could be here with me in the office uh, where we have uh, another guest for Volley. Long-time listeners of Volley will have been familiar with some of the other research team members that we have, and we're finally uh, finishing out the last member of the research team. Our vice president of research here at CompTIA is joining me here today, joining us on Volley. Tim Herbert is here, and uh, he's the author of our Cyberstates report that we're gonna launch next week so welcome Tim we're glad to have you
2: happy to be here finally <laughs> yeah. well we had to
1: perfect and refine the format
0: <laughs> before we welcomed <laughs> you
1: on so I think we finally got it fine-tuned and here we go I, I'm sure
2: the listeners will appreciate that <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we definitely worked on it for a while and now we are uh, we're, we're happy to have you though, Tim thanks for joining so the Cyber
1: States report has become as big or maybe even bigger than the Outlook report that Carolyn and I have talked about before we launched that at the beginning of the year. This report focuses very heavily on the workforce uh, across the country, right? So tell us a little bit about this one and kind of how it's come to be and how it's grown to what it is today. Yeah, this is
2: really our primary reference guide for understanding everything about tech at a state level and then also a metro area level. So if you're familiar with much of our CompTIA research, we we tend to focus on trends more to national type of level and it's just a function of the data we use. But this is really the chance to really dig into some of the details and understand what's happening in one state and how does that compare to another state. And when we build cyberstates, we compile about 100,000 data points. So it's really an effort to distill that down into usable data and to make it accessible to people. Uh, because there's, there's really so many nuances to the tech workforce that it, it can become overwhelming. And that's the, the primary goal of cyberstates, is to give people the tools to understand what's happening within their state or their metro area.
0: And this data, I'm assuming, comes from all over, you know, government sources and, and, and whatnot. And you can just kind of give us some little idea of where you're getting all of this data, because I know it's tons and tons.
2: Yeah, we do rely on quite a few data streams. Certainly, the Bureau of Labor Statistics is a primary source. Uh, EMSI, uh, that is a, a private consulting firm that compiles a lot of BLS data the Bureau of Economic Analysis, uh, Burning Glass, Labor Insights. Uh, we rely on the Patent and Trademark Office. We rely on some venture capital funding for our innovation. Uh, so it, it's, it's really, uh, like I said, we, we want to look at what's happening from various angles, uh, not just uh, certainly workforce is a primary focus, but we also want to understand economic impact. Uh, we want to understand at the business level what's happening. We want to understand what the pipeline looks like. So, how are states doing with patent activity, and what does that potentially tell us about where these states may be headed, or, or how they're going to perform maybe two or three years out, given the you know, typical life cycle of a uh, patent?
0: Yeah, you know, we all know that there are hotbeds of technology regionally. You know, Silicon Valley, obviously. Uh, even the Boston area is very much um, uh, a place where a lot of technology companies are, are located. I'm curious, given the state of our economy and how strong it's been over the last year or so, are we seeing more technology, IT activity happening in the quote-unquote flyover states in the middle of the country? Uh, are we starting to migrate a little bit away from everything being on either coast?
2: Well, that, that is an interesting question, and one of the ways that we, we try to provide context Certainly, if you look at the data on an absolute basis, the largest states and some of the largest cities, just as a function of their population, the number of businesses located there, they're always going to rank near the top. And there are certain cities, they're almost in a category onto themselves. So San Jose, for example, it's, it's almost an outlier. The number of workers within their economy in the tech sector is so much higher than any place else. Mm. But then we also look at the data on a percentage basis and as a a concentration within the local economy. So yes, that is where we we do begin to see there are many regions that you may not necessarily associate with being a tech hub that have performed quite well. And when you look at some of the cities, for example, uh, Milwaukee jumped out at me this year just in terms of the degree to which tech is now relative to other sectors. And again, this is relative to how some of the other sectors are performing. uh, But within Milwaukee, they did uh, quite well with the the number of tech jobs added. (laughs) And the list goes on and on. But but yeah, to your point, yes, there is activity happening. Uh, We saw technology job gains in 38 states this year. Uh, So uh, that was up from 36 states last year. So just about every state is adding tech jobs. And that's certainly a reflection of the pervasiveness of technology in our economy today.
1: How does that compare to other sectors, then, in terms of the job ads? Because when I was looking at the draft of the report, you you look at it and you see a a percentage increase in jobs. And as much as we talk about technology, as much as it's in the news and it seems like technology is taking over, I think the natural reaction might almost be to look at that and think, well, you know, that percentage seems low. You know, as much as we're talking about technology, yeah. why isn't it double-digit growth or whatever? But you know, for one, that might compare still very favorably to other se- sectors. And then also, as you showed in the report, I, it compounds over time. And so when you look right. back, you know, 10 years, you, you know, you don't have the double-digit growth in any one year, but over that time, you've added a lot of jobs.
2: Yeah, yeah, certainly there are sectors that are so labor intense that in terms of job gains, retail, the restaurant sector, uh, construction, they are always going to come out. uh, Healthcare, of course. uh, They they are the sectors that almost always come out if you're just looking at the pure numbers. Uh, But if you start to dig in a little bit, certainly you can see situations where one tech worker, There's much more of a multiplier effect. A top-notch software developer can write code that can be used by millions or tens of millions of people. Even someone working in IT support now, the tools available, they can monitor hundreds, if not thousands, of desktops. It's pretty hard to increase productivity if you work in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. If you are a waitstaff, there's only so many more patrons that you can serve. So, you know, one, there's typically much higher productivity, so uh, that should be taken into consideration. And then also the wages of a tech worker. And you know, certainly we have to be a little bit careful. The, the averages are often skewed because there are some really high wages in the tech sector. And usually that's a reflection of if there's an IPO or the CEO, if they make $50 million in one year because of stock options. That pulls the average way up. But but still, generally the average wage in the tech sector is more than double the national wage. Mm-hmm. And so certainly you can make the argument that, uh, in terms of economic impact, even though the raw number of job gains are not as quite as high, certainly there are certain benefits to bringing on an additional tech worker versus some of the other sectors. Mm-hmm.
0: What are you know? What are some of the biggest growth areas within the technology sector? Are we talking you know, software? Are we talking telecom or IT services? I you know I, I know that uh, those do get ranked within the report. And do you have an indication, even based on past year's cyber states, of where the growth markets are?
2: Yeah. What we see in uh, 2017, it's really a continuation of the the trend now that we've been seeing for the past couple of years, where The primary driver has been the category, and again, this is a top level category, but it's the IT services and custom software services category. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and this would encompass a lot of the traditional IT services categories, everything from uh, consulting to integration to managed services, and then custom software is closely related. So certainly if you're doing uh, integration work or if you have to do anything to migrate on-premise applications to the cloud, typically there's custom software involved there. In terms of percent change, the software sector had the, the largest gains. But it is, uh, in terms of the number of employees within software, it is quite a bit lower. And then. Uh, Telecom is combined the way, again, at the top level, telecom is combined with what is referred to as data hosting and internet services. So there's a lot of cloud built into that category. Mm -hmm. But traditional telecom, it's become a very mature category. Even wireless has slowed down quite a bit. So telecom was essentially flat in terms of job gains. And then tech manufacturing, again, it's a big category uh, in terms of employment, but uh, tech manufacturing, it it, uh, shed a few jobs in 2017, so it was down almost uh, 5%. And some of that is, is again, driven by automation. Uh, They have some of the most efficient capabilities in terms of being able to manufacture, whether it's uh, semiconductors or finished product. So that's certainly one factor there. And then the other category we do have, we do include what is referred to as R&D, testing and some engineering services. And this is a nod to the fact that CompTIA has a very broad based membership and we have the Space Council. So we have a lot of high tech involved in some of these categories that fall a little bit outside of what we would consider traditional IT.
0: Yeah, like where would the drone stuff fall into? What category would that go? Because I know we're doing a lot in that area here at CompTIA.
2: Well, that does raise an interesting question because so many of the products now, there is a hardware component, there's a software component, there's often a data component, there's a services component. Uh, So, the categorization mechanisms, uh, they they often don't fully reflect this, but the, the hardware itself would be in tech manufacturing. If someone was providing a service where they were say doing mapping and then they were doing analytics for potential new sites that would fall into the IT services if someone was relying on say APIs for open drone data and they were writing software to provide some type of analytical service that would fall in software's so that's three categories and then you could also make the argument that increasingly uh, as we see the rollout of 5G they may rely on new infrastructure And that would touch uh, telecom. Mm.
0: Makes writing this report really easy, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it
2: just takes, you know, a couple of days to get it done. (laughs)
0: You mentioned
1: automation in relation to tech manufacturing. And I don't think we dive into it too much in this report, but... There's the, the broad storyline around automation uh, disrupting jobs. Mm-hmm. My, my sense, looking at this report and going back to what Carolyn said about the broader economy seeming healthy, is that we've got technology growing um, and we don't see tons of disruption happening in other places yet. It kind of goes to me, to what we've been saying for a while, that the appetite for technology continues to grow even as we become more efficient, even as we have more automation. And so we still don't know exactly what the net result of some of this will be, and capabilities are going to continue to increase, but it seems to me that you know, the health that we see out of this report kind of put up against the health in the general economy suggests that we're finding ways to combine technology with what humans do best as well.
2: I think it's going to be some time before we would see the effects of automation directly in the report. Certainly we've had automation affecting many types of jobs for the past 25 years and arguably you could go back 150 years, the, the dawn of the industrial revolution, but even the occupations, uh, one example that often is cited that with the introduction of the ATM in the 90s, you would expect all bank tellers to have been displaced. And that's just not the case. For the most part, the number of bank tellers today is about the same as it was in 1995. Ah. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the big concerns is, is we don't know, will that pattern continue where technology displaces some jobs, but it creates many more jobs? We just don't know, will that formula look different over the next 20 years? Mm. And I think that's what has a lot of people nervous. And Mm. I agree with your point that so far it looks like a lot of these technologies they either will replace potentially positions that could be replaced because they maybe they're dangerous or maybe there are situations where there truly is a shortage because the jobs are not that appealing to a lot of people. Driving a large truck across country during the middle of the night mm-hmm. to make sure. It arrives at its destination, being away from your family weeks at a time. Uh, yeah, maybe there is a role for autonomous trucking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can see a lot of those examples where you know perhaps it does open up new opportunities, and it's displacing something that wasn't that appealing to begin with.
0: I presented this week on the youth youth and IT um, study. And I found one of the most interesting data points coming out of that study is that kids, 13 to 17 yeah. years old, are thinking about automation and how that potentially will impact a career that they may or may not want to pursue. I found that fascinating, just as a side note here. But it's, it's pretty interesting that even kids at that age are already thinking about the, the impact. So
1: this, this report is kind of a snapshot of where we are today. It yeah. looks forward into the future a little bit. And I think as we're looking forward yeah. into the future, one element that gets talked about a lot is a skills gap. Uh, And so we see growth in these categories, uh, but we also know that companies are having some trouble finding skills. And so there's a lot of job postings. Uh, So how do you think things are gonna continue to go as we we see the growth and as we project how that goes forward, and then knowing that there's a skills gap issue, what exactly is that going to mean for, for jobs and for the ways that employers might need to approach jobs if they've got this great demand, but they're having trouble finding the candidates?
2: We do provide a, a quick, uh, I would say projection out to 2026, and, and this is somewhat top level, but when you factor in the skills gap, and then the other big variable is the replacement rate, and this is addressing retirements. Uh, It's addressing people that may leave the industry for some other type of job. But through 2026, we're going to need roughly 1.2 million tech workers. And again, that is growth, that is addressing skills gap, that's addressing uh, retirements. And what I think we're we're hearing from employers, they, they do recognize that they have to explore new approaches. And some of the traditional standbys of relying simply on a four-year college degree as essentially a, uh, a proxy for bringing someone into the workforce uh, or certainly over the past say 10 to 20 years I think companies they, they have moved away from investing heavily in training themselves and, and a lot of that has been delegated to the employee. Uh, it's really up to the employee to stay on top of their skills and, and to protect themselves against obsolescence. But I think we, we have seen a mind shift. Uh, so organizations, they are more committed to providing uh, training, uh, providing some of the support. Uh, we see in our research uh, among IT workers that they recognize that they have to stay on top of their skills. And, and we have new approaches uh, from the standpoint of do-it-yourself or self-serve type of training. So the challenge is there's no quick fix or or there's no magic bullet that you can say here is the recipe to ensure that you can have an adequate pipeline you can manage your talent and you can stay ahead of the skills gap challenge. Uh, There's a lot of moving parts technology is moving faster than ever so even the best intentions can be overwhelmed just by speed. There are always resource resources constraints So there's a lot of factors here. And what what I'm most encouraged that there is also experimentation happening. And and hopefully we will begin to hit on some models that can be scaled and, and that will help to offset some of the issues that I just mentioned.
0: Are there states or regions where the skills gap issue is more pronounced than others right now?
2: Well, certainly in some of the niche skills, the the tech hubs are are probably where you hear it the most. And usually there's quite a few factors. Some of it is just intense competition. The skills are so new that some of the workers, uh, they don't have the depth of experience that that companies may prefer. Uh, And then you also have uh, situations where, yeah, companies may be located in cities where there may not be the depth of labor that they would prefer. And Mm -hmm. even if these are not cutting-edge skills, we continue to see, and this is something that uh, despite the heavy focus on software in terms of a growth driver, we we also see growth, though, in a lot of the the categories that are sometimes overlooked. Uh, IT support, for example. The category experienced decent growth. I mean, it was almost uh, a little bit over 2%. And then we see the same with categories such as network admins, uh, database administrators. So those are some of the categories that companies, if you are in a uh, a secondary city or even town, and with the demand now from employers of all types across pretty much every industry sector, certainly some locales are facing what is perceived to be a skills gap uh, or a, a pipeline issue. And one of the things we try to remind employers, though, they also have to have realistic expectations. Uh, We see many employers fall into the trap of they will list every emerging skill, every programming (laughs) language, for an entry-level position, and they want 10 years of experience for a new language that's been around for two years. Mm -hmm. Uh, And some of it is just they don't know any better, or some of it is ask for the world and see what you get. But I I think you know finally we're starting to see a little bit more of a realistic approach to what's available. And something that that CompT is very passionate about is trying to provide mechanisms to consider candidates that may come from non-traditional backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may have a slightly different path in terms of their training. They may come from another industry, but oftentimes they bring valuable skills that can help complement and provide some of the, the insights or tools that a traditional IT firm or traditional IT department may have been lacking before.
0: It's funny you mentioned that, because our last guest, who we had on, Seth, was in, initially was a finance major, and that was the industry that he had planned his whole career around, and he graduated from college in the unfortunate year of 2008, and there was, no, uh, there was no hope of him getting a good finance career, and he ended up in IT. So, you know, you're right. I mean, you have to consider that people can come from different pools, and applicants can come from anywhere, and not necessarily the traditional streams that we always think about.
1: Yeah, and that's some of the beauty of of the lines blurring between IT and business, the technology sector and mm-hmm. some of these other sectors is that as yeah. you want these candidates or individuals right. with multiple skills, you're going to get them, you know, that have skills in one bucket or the other, and then you've got to fill up the, the skills that they don't have. Uh, and, and so there, there are a lot of paths yeah. for people that come from non-hardcore STEM backgrounds. As we're wrapping up here, uh, there's another type of skill that I wanted to talk about a little bit that's uh, new for this report. Uh, This report is available at cyberstates.org starting next Tuesday. There's a PDF version, and uh, the website is also highly interactive. But for this year, you built an Alexa skill, uh, and you were telling me a little bit about that this week. So maybe talk about what the skill does, but also, a little bit of what went into building that, because I think a ton of people have yeah. an Alexa and they use it,
2: but they probably don't know what's on the back end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully people are still using it after the uh, the laughing incident, because uh, some of those videos were fairly creepy, uh, but yeah, anyway, you know, one of our goals, as I mentioned at the very beginning, is we want to make cyberstates as accessible as possible. So we're always exploring new ways, whether through the web portal, or having a mobile-friendly interface that you can pull up data on your phone. And it seemed like the natural next step was having a virtual assistant in the form of Alexa that would allow you to interact with the data. So we uh, have probably, there's probably close to 75 questions and well over 500 data points that uh, can be asked via the uh, Alexa skill. And some of these are top level, but many of them you can drill down into specific states. Mm. So we view this as an experiment, and it'll be interesting to see uh, what the reception is. But, but certainly, you know, this, this is uh, you know something. Also, working in the, the tech sector, certainly Comptia, we want to demonstrate that, that we are staying ahead of the curve in the use of various tools as well. So we view this as uh, you know certainly in that uh, vein.
0: Mm. So you could ask something like, you know, what is the average or the median salary for an IT services worker in Massachusetts, that sort of thing? You
2: can get that specific, yes. So, okay. uh And that's one of the the challenges working in this industry because we, we do have a lot of moving parts. We, we have a lot of terminology, just even the difference between IT, information technology, tech, high tech. So... We, we did our best to account for all of those nuances. Uh, I will say Alexa tends to get hung up on IT a little bit, uh, as you would expect. Uh, so mm-hmm. tech seems to work a little bit better in terms of phrasing questions. But yeah, many of those types of questions. How big is the tech sector in California? or what is the rank of Illinois in innovation, or mm-hmm. what are the average wages in Massachusetts? Uh, so many of these types of questions that map directly back to the report uh, can be phrased. And we, we did uh, at least recognize that many people, because this will be new, uh, I would say the, the shortcut is Alexa, tell me something interesting about cyber states. Mm. And this is essentially spinning the random wheel, and uh, it will pull up a hopefully interesting uh, fact from the report for you.
0: Or she'll just laugh at you. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> there, the, yes. I,
2: I don't want to ruin the surprise, but there, there may be a few Easter eggs hidden in the, uh, the skill. Oh. In the tradition of apps and probably a little bit more uh, on the video game side, but...
1: Well, very cool. Uh, it'll be exciting to see how this is received uh, starting next week. Again, the report's going to go live next week. Uh, everyone can access it at cyberstates.org or through Alexa. And uh, hopefully it gets received as well as it has in the past. So, Hopefully. Yeah. Yes.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Tim, so much. Good to have you finally on. So, Yeah, no, great discussion.
1: Yeah, and uh, as glad as I am to have you here in the office, I hope that uh, your flight does get out of here and that you're able to get home for the weekend. <sighs>
2: Yes, uh, either either that, or I'll be holed up with uh, Cyberstate uh, keeping me company this weekend.
1: <laughs> uh, let's let's
2: hope for home. Uh,
1: home sounds better than that. So, uh, anyway, thanks for joining us. And uh, Carolyn, have a great weekend.
0: Thank you. You too. Talk to you later. Yep.